Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here today by our host and star of the show, Jim Colonel. This is the Arms Race, episode 460 on the network. Before we bring Jim on, just want to thank a few people and alert our audience uh, to the direction we're headed here. Make sure you hit up millions. Our merchandise dropped. Our tag will be in the show notes and all social media posts. It's pinned on my page. Uh, it's got hoodies, got t-shirts, hats, men and women apparel. Uh, I want to take care of our, our entire audience of 68,000 right now and growing. Make sure you take a look at some of our merch. If you have any suggestions and want other stuff, let us know. I'll see what I can do. Also, the Kinetic Arm. This is the back end of a doubleheader today. We had Jason Collarin on earlier with AMBS talking about the Kinetic Arm. Great new innovative arm device here, solving some problems, we hope, in the pitching industry and the throwing industry. My son Tanner is using it as a catcher. Loves it. Feels like it, it offloads some of the stress externally. Prevents a little the arm lag when he gets tired. I know you'll hear some of those phrases on our show today. But if you use RVG DAG at checkout, it'll get you a discount on a kinetic arm for youth or adults. Also, jaw bats, RVG at checkout gets you a discount on a brand new maple bat or any of their apparel. They do sell blend bats as well. But great artists, uh, they, they do the bats up nice. Uh, Tanner has his M110 model blue, the color blue, so loves it. Jeff Fry has C271. I uh, think he's got the, the, uh, the plain wood model so and his she gone models coming out soon also monet hair products don't know how they got a hold of us jim they must love our hat heads but we'll start talking about a little bit a little bit of their partnership with us and you know with the sixty eight thousand, we've got some plans coming in march we'll be doing some online clinics for you for our audience and that'll lead up to a big event in december where we'll get all of our our uh, following together to meet uh finally in person hopefully that doesn't ruin things for everybody but um with that want to welcome Jim Colonel, the arms race back to his show here. Jim, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm sitting here in the office and uh, there's a uh, about six inches of snow out. Uh, so it's uh, winter has come to Connecticut, as they say. Uh, a little cold here today and I won't complain. No snow, sunshine, uh, no rainbows, but uh, probably a, a mild 60. Uh, kids are running around. That's cold for us softies down here in, in the south. So. Well, I, I love the, you know, anything above 25 with sun and no wind is is really invigorating. Uh, when it gets below 20 with, uh, you know, what they, the proverbial wind show factor of seven below, then I'm going, this is, you know, this is a little too Minnesota for me. That's all. Yeah. Well, right now, your weather is college baseball weather in the Northeast for all of us that played our college baseball up that way. Hey, you... um. Starting our show today, you you get a lot of feedback from listeners, people that you know personally that listen to the podcast. They give great uh, feedback as to how we can help enhance the experience. Uh, you talked about kinetic timing uh, last show, and they had some thoughts as to some of the you, you were discussing, particularly three show three photos. But we are an audio show only here, so wanted to give you a moment at the beginning to kind of go back into that and and break that down a little bit for the, those audience members that asked the question about more detail. Oh, great. Yeah. Before I do that, I, I have to mention, I hold the NCA record um, for pitching in the most snowstorms. Um, um, <laughs> a blinding snowstorm one time at Penn State against Mick, Mitch Lukovich, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> yeah, my, a good friend of mine who uh, listens to the podcast, very successful um, baseball coach, played in college. And he made the comment to me and said that, you know, I understand the kinetic timing, but it's really difficult to do without photos. And it's a little confusing um, uh, with strictly audio. So for people who listened last week, um, once again, you know, you know, we get feedback, we learn, we try to make some corrections. I thought maybe I'd try to simplify this if I could. Uh, so when I look at kinetic timing, it's really three photos for me. It's um, when the front foot lands, where's the baseball? Um, and then when the ball is in early cocking, which we talked about where the ball is between, say, 11, 11.45 and 12.15, regarding whether you're a righty or a lefty pitcher, how open is your upper front side? And last but not least, 
the last photo I look at is when the hips are fully rotated, how collapses the arm. Uh, and, and those three things indicate to me the severity of, as you mentioned, arm lag. Um, because the more severe the arm lag, um, the more stress that's placed on the shoulder, elbow, and arm through rotation. Um, and one, th one thing I would add, because I've read this and we talked about this last week, people talked about upper half rotation and increasing upper half rotation to increase velocity. The one thing I said last week when we were talking is that, I, you know, I gave some, I gave your audience a drill and said, do me a favor, try to rotate your upper half without rotating your back hip. And you can't do that. If you, if you try to upper, upper rotate your upper half without rotating your back hip, all you're going to do is move your arm. So when they talk about upper half rotation, it's really connected to and engaged with your back hip rotation. So that's really important to understand. They're, they're connected. You can't, up, you can't rotate your upper half without rotating your backside. And so what it comes down to me is, and, and this hopes this simplifies it, is the, con, the, the key is timing, okay? Unless you're double jointed or a contortionist, you're not going to be able to, when your front foot lands, rotate your back hip 150 degrees. What's going to happen is you're going to have 90% rotation. Same thing, you're going to have 90% rotation of your upper half. That's pretty much plus or minus the max amount of rotation you can have. Okay. Um, when do you do it? <laughs> Are you rotating? It's, I talked about timing. Uh, have you rotated your lower half and upper half? So you're fully facing the plate and your arm is collapsed behind your head? Or are you rotating your upper half caused by your back hip rotation and the ball is going from late cocking to early cocking to acceleration? So that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to timing. Um, and I just thought hopefully that might simplify some things. Um, and I said before, as my friend said, it's really difficult to talk about that without photos, but I want to try to clear that up. Um, and as I believe... Um, <laughs> Cheech and Chong once said, I don't need no stinking motion capture film. Like I said, three photos. And quite frankly, a lot of times, most times, if you showed me one, I'll tell you what the other two are going to look like. And I'll leave it at that. Well, you're, you're educating this former hitter very well, because as we talked before the show, I'm starting to get pretty good at enjoying the still, the still caption photos and starting to, I obviously don't know it as deeply as you do, having spent the time as you have deep dive in this, but I'm starting to get an idea of what you might say um, in terms of this. So you're, it's a great education piece, even if it's just for an audience of one, I love it. But I know lots of people are, are enjoying your your feedback and your information on pitching here. You're doing a lot of good out there. Well, what about your, your next topic was DNA and you had Verlander down there. Oh yeah. I thought that um, I would kind of, um, you know, come up with a theme with this podcast and I called it the three D's, DNA, discern and development. So I will address the number one DNA, right? So we talked about, we talked about before I, I look at pitching injuries and I look at many pieces of the puzzle and we've talked about before to me, each of the puzzles have different sizes, meaning they carry different weight. So DNA plays a significant role in arm injuries and the ability to have a successful, long, healthy career. So when we talk about DNA, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Verlander, the, the Tommy John surgeries and injuries that I have uh, investigated over the last couple of years, and I mentioned there's been over 440 professional and minor league pitchers since 2019 who have had Tommy John surgery. But just with major league pitchers, right, they range from zero major league innings to 2,800 innings Verlander, okay? So that's a pretty big gap there. Um, if you look at just to highlight some of the current <clears throat> innings that major league pitchers have thrown prior to their Tommy John surgery, Verlander logged 2,800 innings. Noah Syndergaard logged 711 innings. Clevenger has two logged at 541 innings. Severino logged his Tommy John injury at 529 and Kopech, okay, an astounding 14 innings. So, to me, that says that there are pieces of the puzzle and DNA plays a significant role because I've broken down the motions of these five pitchers as well as other Tommy John pitchers who have had injuries and have had, I'm sorry, pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery and they all throw the same. 
they are doppelgangers. They have the same extremely poor lower half ball timing. And those three photos and those three phases I, I had previously discussed, and they all have the same collapsed arm path with hips fully rotated to the plate. So I'm willing to admit that DNA plays a significant role, but I'm also willing to state that I believe there's other issues involved. And one of them is how you throw the baseball, because we talked about this before the common refrain from major league baseball or anybody who speaks to the issue of arm injuries, it's velocity. It's the velocity today. And as we've spoken before, I like to look at the science when we, when we refer to that line of reasoning and today's hundred at a very conservative uh, measure, which we've spoken about is your grandfather's 93, 94 based on the uh, using the uh, original Decatur speed gun or the jugs gun 40, 45 years ago versus stat cast out of the hand. So to me, it all ties in together as to is somebody willing to look at the different pieces of the puzzle and is somebody willing to put different weight to the pieces of the puzzle and different sizes to the pieces of the puzzle. And we talked about this now for nine podcasts. Uh, the biggest piece of the puzzle for me is how they throw the baseball. Yeah. Now you've got in your show notes, you've got Verlander, 2,800 innings, Syndergaard, 711, Clevenger, number two. I'm assuming that's his second, Tommy John. Uh, I have to look back. I, I believe it's his second. Even if it's his first, it's five, four, 541. 541. And then Severino, 529, Kopech, 14. Is that 14 innings? 14 innings, yes. Oh, my right. God. Right. So, and, and I know you mentioned Verlander had 158 innings in the minors prior to his 2,800 Oh, I, I'm sorry. I don't know whether that's correct or not. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm not sure about that. But I can say that in reference to that, you mentioned minor leagues. Um, I have researched, as I mentioned before, over 225 of the top prospects uh, that were noted in 2021. And I've uncovered many, many number one and number two draft pick prospects who have had Tommy John surgery. Um, so they've logged Tommy John. They've they've incurred an injury and had to have Tommy John surgery before they even logged a, an MLB inning. We've accepted this, and and I, I don't agree with it. Obviously, neither do you. But we've almost accepted this as inevitable. Like it's going to happen. It's okay that it happens. Let's move on and get to the second one. And I've even heard people. We had uh, Tommy Craig on a few weeks back, uh, former longtime uh, major league uh, trainer, and he's he's big into this as well. Just to say kids are almost, almost, or parents are almost wanting and excited about their first Tommy John surgery. You know, it's happening early and early now. It's almost like puberty. Like, you know, I can't wait to get that first Tommy John surgery. Like it validates them as a pitcher. It's kind of sick. Well, I, 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 you know, in that respect, I would think that you're speaking to, it's almost like a badge of courage. Um, and we spoke about this several podcasts ago. My concern with the Tommy John surgery is this, and I'll, I'll speak to the, um, the comment I made a couple podcasts ago. I work with a high school in, in Pennsylvania, a very prominent high school team. And the coach had called me up because um, he wanted me to evaluate six of his pitchers. Three of them had Tommy John surgery. And the story he told me was one of his pitchers, a 16 year old sophomore was getting instruction from a pitching instructor who said to the young boy, young man, um, you know, you have elbow pain, you got some issues. Um, you're going to have Tommy John surgery sooner or later. So you might as well get it now. Um, I, I will use the word that's criminal, uh, because I evaluated his motion and his throwing motion was horrendous. So in context of what you were speaking about, what I don't understand is that Tommy John surgery might be inevitable. But before it's inevitable, as with any surgery or any medical practice, you would not go to the young man and say, okay, you're, you're exhibiting some elbow pain. Let me show you how you're throwing the baseball. Let me show you why you're increasing the stress on your shoulder and your elbow. Let's see if we can make some adjustments and then work on this and tell me how you feel. If you feel better and you feel like you're throwing better and the pain is, is, is minimal, well, then we can move forward. If what we try and the adjustments we make don't mitigate the issue, well, then you might have to have Tommy John surgery. Now, I'll add a caveat to that. As you said, there's always a but. If somebody had worked with this young man, in my opinion, 
and helped with him, helped him to make adjustments in his throwing motion that maximized the use of his lower half to minimize the stress on his arm, I don't believe he would have had elbow pain in the first place. But as I said last week, that's a separate conversation, and I don't like to conf- con- conflate conversations. We address one issue at a time. But that's, that's my concern about that. And one thing I'll add before we continue, the other issue I have, which is no different than anything else that exists in our country today, is that it's always about the headline. It's about the one guy, the one person, and we just, we just put aside the other 15, meaning that kudos to Verlander. He recovered from Tommy John surgery. He won a Cy Young Award. Now, unfortunately, he's got a shoulder issue now, but we're not going to address that. But for every Verlander out there, there are five or 10 pitchers who are struggling to get back on the mound or who have an ERA of five and a half or six. And I can show you the photos. I can show you the records. Once again, that's not my concern. My concern is that if that's what a 16-year-old or 17-year-old hears, and that's what an instructor reads, and he says, hey, no big deal. You're going to come back stronger than ever. That is not true. I'm sorry. I disagree with that assessment. Based on my experience of working with pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery, who said, thanks, Mr. Colonel, but I'm going to stay with what I got. And now they're struggling. And also the records of what I read and what I see with major league and minor league pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery, who are struggling to get back. We don't want to talk about those pitchers. We just want to promote the Verlanders, which is fine. I think we should promote the Verlanders of the world and applaud him for his ability to come back and work hard. But we, we should not discount and cannot discount if we're trying to tell the true story and be able to communicate this and tell the, the factual story to the 16 or 17-year-old earlier, and we're going to dismiss the other side or the but as you talk about, well, I think that's ingenuous. I think that's definitely, uh, it's just inexcusable as far as I'm concerned. Well, I couldn't agree more. And then kind of naturally leads us into the next D with discern with, with Cortez, being able to see, recognize, understand, and decide something. You got a couple of examples there. Do you, do you mind getting into a little no, bit? No, no. The, the second word, I, it, the second D is discern. The definition of discern is to be able to see, recognize, understand, or decide something. That's what discern means. So I'll preface this by saying, as I've said every podcast, I'm using these examples or talking to these examples because of what I feel 17-year-old and 16-year-olds see, read, and hear, because they're seeing and reading and hearing the same thing I am. So let me give you a couple just short examples, because we talked about it. I go through the pages. I go through the athletic. I go through MLB.com. I want to see what pitching coaches and managers are saying, and I want to see what, what pitchers are saying, right? So here's an article I saw on Cortez this week, and I'll just I, I'll go very briefly um, speak to the article. The article states, uh, Cortez began throwing again December 3rd back home in Miami, but still felt he wasn't making any progress with his shoulder. And this is him speaking. I decided to come here to Tampa with the Yankees training staff, Cortez said. It worked out great. Now, the, Yan- and the article continues. The Yankees training staff knew they could prescribe exactly what he needed in order to strengthen it, his, stro- his shoulder. I'm sorry. He would do shoulder stretches in the morning then lift weights almost to fatigue just to get that shoulder stronger. Now, here's a quote from a Yankee staff member in the article. It's better to have all the resources around you so that if you do have questions, they can get answered. I think it's just making sure that he is doing everything he needs to do in between while the build is going up and managing the volume increases. Okay, so at the end of the article, Cortez spoke about his shoulder injury the previous year. Cortez says it was not a point during the offseason when he considered having shoulder surgery. He asked for second and third opinions, none of which none of the doctors who recommended surgery immediately. The consensus, he said, was that rehab could fix his issues. So we talked last week and we I've talked uh, over the last couple podcasts of questions that I have because I'm looking for answers to see where I may be not looking at this the right way. Okay, we all, we're all looking to learn. 
I have photos of Cortez throwing one breakdown of his motion. From early cocking through to release, his glove is a foot to a foot and a half outside his body below his knee. He has zero, and I underscore zero, upper front brace to support his arm through delivery. Now, as I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, I injured my shoulder pitching in the Yankee organization, and I threw, I threw pretty hard. I had some gas, and um, nobody was able to teach me how to keep my front shoulder closed. So when I tell you I have ghost pains looking at that photo, that's an understatement. So what I don't understand, because we're talking about rehab, and we're talking about Cortez looking to the Yankee staff for rehab. And their recommendation was shoulder stretches in the morning and lift weights to fatigue. Now, I understand the reality and necessity of rebuilding the shoulder to make it stronger. That's no different with any injury anybody would have, right? That's why you go to rehab. But you look and go, why did I get hurt in the first place? Right, because I think the quote was from the Yankee staff member: "It's great to have all the resources. Where if you have questions, they can get answered." So my question as a pitcher to the Yankee staff would be: "Hey, why did I get injured?" Okay, I'm on the field with Cortez. I'm just being dead honest. I go, Nestor, come here. Let me show you a photo. Okay, see this front side here. You have no front side brace. You have no upper front side at all. It's probably the weakest of any pitcher I have seen in the major leagues. You want to you wanna make sure you don't get injured again, or you want to mitigate your risk of future injury? I'll tell you what. Okay, Yeah, strengthen your shoulder, but let's play catch, and I'll show you what it feels like to keep your front shoulder closed. Then you tell me, how does your arm feel? Because here's the other thing I'd say to Nestor. Okay, Nestor, you've thrown, you've logged, I think, about 340 innings in the major leagues. That shoulder injury last year was a warning, was a warning shot over the bow. Okay, you can strengthen that shoulder and you can do whatever lift you want to do. But if you don't correct your upper front side to support your arm coming through to delivery, chances are you're going to have a more serious injury down the road. That would be my conversation with Nestor Cortez. My question is, I don't understand from what I read. Now, maybe that conversation existed and Cortez said, no, thank you. But my understanding is that that conversation doesn't happen. And I want to know why not. That's a fair question. Definitely a fair question. Um, would you have any thoughts as to why it's not asked? Uh, no, I, I do, but I don't want to share that. I, <laughs> I don't want to share. I, I've been I've been given a lot of reasons why. Um, I that's not you know it's a fair question, Dave. But I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm here to ask questions based on Mike's my experience researching, my experience working with pitchers, and my own personal experience playing professional baseball. You know, so I, I, uh, uh, for, the, for this moment, for this moment, I'll let that go. If, if, if somebody wants to call me up who's in the room, I'd be happy to have a conversation with them. Gotcha. No, it makes sense. I, I can appreciate that and certainly respect that. Are there a couple others that you want to get to on that, or did you feel like you made your point with Cortez? Uh, no, just a couple. Just a couple I thought were kind of interesting along the same lines. Um, you know, as I said, I've done a lot of research on pitchers who have been injured, and um, specifically the Dodgers and their um, Tommy John trifecta last year of Bueller, May, uh, and Gonsolin. So when I read about Bueller rehabbing, um, the comment was he's gained 20 pounds, so he's in a better position to hold up physically. Um, regarding May, the comment was um, he's thrown just 191 innings spread over five seasons. Uh, he's talented, but might be more useful if he returns in more of a hybrid role, uh, you know, kind of more working in the bullpen. Now, the latter might have been the uh, I don't know whether that was a comment 
uh, inferred from what a uh, official said or whether that was just the writer's opinion. But as far as Bueller, um, once again, getting back to Cortez or anything else I've read, the, the rehab with injuries always focuses on getting the pitcher stronger. And I agree with that 100%. But Walker Bueller's had two Tommy John surgeries and thrown 680 innings. His throwing motion, his lower half ball timing is extremely poor with a severe arm lag. So if if the Dodgers or Walker Bueller thinks the only thing he needs to do is gain 20 pounds to, so he can hold up better physically, I do not understand that. And my question would be, why is that the emphasis? Why not look and see maybe there's something he's doing with his throwing motion since he's only thrown 680 innings and he's had two Tommy John surgeries? It's getting back to the definition we talked about last week about the kinetic timing. The, the goal of it is to minimize the stress on the arm, not maximize the stress on the arm. And my contention is, based on my research and working with pitchers, that Walker Bueller's throwing motion maximizes the stress on his arm. I do not understand that. As far as, as, far as Dustin May, if, if that is the um, writer's you know, personal opinion that he's throwing into the article, so be it. If that's the organization's thinking at this point, I'm going, you got a really talented kid here. He's had two major elbow surgeries. Before you relegate him to the bullpen, would you want to say, hey, Dustin, let's have a catch. Let me show you a couple things. How's that feel? Feels pretty good? Okay, let's work on it. Don't understand that. Don't understand that at all, Dave. Yeah. And I, you, mentioned, you had John Means in there. Well, I was so high on him when he came. I was uh, excited the way he emerged with Baltimore a few years back. The question I have with all these guys now is we're in the discern mode before we get to development is, you know, we all we all drive car our, our own car, for instance. I and mean, if you don't, if you drive a bicycle, same thing. But we can only go as fast as we're able to slow down. And in this era of which we don't agree with, this max velocity, let's blow it out as hard as we can every pitch. Is it not logical to look at the decelerators, how people are slowing down? Maybe more of an emphasis on if they're if they are going to work out, more emphasis on the pulling motions to 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 allow that slowdown. Am I, am I speaking out of turn as a hitter here or? Oh, no, no. I, I, I think there's, you know, there's, there's different stages of the throwing motion. But I, I, w- regarding John Means and your comment, um, I would like to offer this analogy, right? We've spoken this about before. If I'm weightlifting and somebody asks me to deadlift, okay, this gets back to velocity. If somebody asks me to deadlift, I could deadlift 50 pounds with my eyes closed and do whatever I wanted to. If they ask me to deadlift 300 pounds, I better create energy from the ground up from my feet with prop to, to, to utilize my lower half to generate the energy to lift this 300 pound dump barbell with proper timing. Otherwise, I'm going to wind up in traction for three weeks. Okay. So to your point about the car, let, let's, let's say this. They are right. They're right. The science is wrong. Everybody's throwing 102 miles an hour. So I'm going to say to that, okay, they're deadlifting 300 pounds. Why wouldn't you, as the velocity increases, why wouldn't you want to create a technique as with deadlifting, the technique being the throwing motion that supports this increased velocity? So I'm even willing to meet the, the experts halfway and go, you know what? The, the science and the guns, that, that's all wrong. Let's throw that out. You know, John, Jordan Hicks is throwing 102. XYZ is throwing 103. Well, my question, well, why wouldn't you then want to create a foundation that better supports that 103? Because as Mr. Conti said and I quoted two weeks ago, the more velocity you have, the more velocity, the more stress is placed on your arm. Well, that makes sense. If I'm playing catch and lobbing the ball at 25 miles an hour, 
You can throw the ball anywhere you want to. You're not going to hurt your arm. But now get on the mound and throw the ball 100 miles an hour. You better, you better watch how you're deadlifting, right? So, so that, that's, my, that's my answer to that. But getting back to John Means, I will put this in the context of velocity and what they're blaming injuries on. John Means had Tommy John surgery in 2022. He had a elbow injury last year that kept him off um, the postseason. His injuries for his career are shoulder, back, Tommy John, elbow. John Means is clocked at 90 to 92. That's today out of the hand. That means, okay, I'm going to go back to the, you know, I'm going to go back to the, the science now. That means just conservatively, he towed the rubber 45 years ago. He's at 85, 86, 87. For you older listeners, he's John Tudor. Now, John Tudor is never going to remember, remember for his heat, even though he was a, a really outstanding pitcher who had a very successful career. So my question, John Means, Tommy John surgery, came back, elbow issues. His velocity today is in the low 90s. He's logged a grand total of 381 major league innings. How can you blame or why would you blame? Or is, let me pose this a different way. That's accusatory. Is there another reason or other pieces of the puzzle as to why John Means had shoulder, back, Tommy John surgery, and elbow surgeries, elbow issues during his career? Because we get back to the statement, the goal is to mitigate. The goal, to use my example, is to make each piece of the puzzle smaller. That's what I don't understand about the John Means of the world in Major League Baseball. And there's many of them. I'm just using John Means as an example. Probably a great guy. Wish him the best of luck. But I don't understand how a staff can look at John Means with his injury history when he throws today in the low 90s and has logged 381 innings. So to me, if I'm looking and saying what has caused his injuries, it can't be how hard he throws and it can't be how much he throws. So as I said last week, what's left? If you want to tell me climate change, we can have a conversation. Yeah. Well, I think it leads us nicely into your development phase. And there's some doppelgangers that seem to appear in, I guess, as far as examples go, you can bring them all the way back up to the DNA portion of the, this segment, but uh, hit, on, hit on your development phase. Oh yeah. I've, I've always, <clears throat> because of the research I've done with minor league pitchers um, and to, to, to refresh your listeners' memories, when I did the, the study of uh, top 2021 MLB prospects, there were 227. As of today, my researchers that I work with have given me back the information because we followed them over the last three years. 91% of them have been injured. 91% of them have been injured. Countless Tommy John surgeries. So I question I have is what constitutes development in the minor leagues? Is it just spin rate? Is it just so-called perceived velocity? That's my question. So I happened to look uh, over the last year or so. Uh, I was curious because of the injuries the Dodgers have had, and everybody was touting Bobby Miller and the other prospects. So I looked at Miller, Stone, Sheehan, and Grove, who were, I guess, four, four of the top prospects in the Dodger system. And they are doppelgangers doppelgangers of May, Bueller, and Gonsolin, the Tommy John trifecta for the Dodgers. So it posed the question for me, and I was curious, and I tried to you know, investigate this and ask people questions. When an organization, do they look within themselves to put the pieces of the puzzle together or the comparative pieces of the puzzle? Meaning that do they look in, they, would they look and say, let me look at May Bueller and Gonson. Let me look at their throwing motions. Now they're they're doppelgangers within themselves, and go okay. They've had Tommy John surgery. Now I have four 
top prospects who, quite frankly, two of them, their throwing motions are actually, in my opinion, worse than those three. Do they connect the dots and say there might be something here that we need to look at? Or, as with the previous statement, do they just raise their hand and say, it's velocity. They all throw 97. They all throw 96. Well, my response would be, as with John Means, I don't care whether they're throwing 98. At a conservative 6%, they're down to 92, 93, 45 years ago. So are they really throwing that much harder, even though we like to promote it with the headlines? Um, that's my question. Um, I, you know, I, I'd like to know, I'm curious and like to know what development represents in the minor leagues. And, and I'd like to have somebody answer that question for me. Um, and I like to tie that in only for the fact that I've studied him. I looked at uh, Bradish for the Orioles, who now just went on IL, was having some elbow issues, who had shoulder issues, I think, a year or two ago. That study I did, once again, Bradish, Cobb Bradish could be a great kid. That study I did of 227 pitchers, his throwing motion was the worst, the worst of the 227. Absolute horrendous. Arm path, timing, upper half body tilt. Um, I, I, I use the expression, I wouldn't let a pitcher throw a ping pong ball with that motion. I, I don't even know uh, if I, I would let anybody step on the field if I was working with somebody who threw the baseball like that. Um, so it ties into my question of development that a Kyle Bradish, who's got a lot of ability, who had a very good year last year, who's able to be promoted through the Orioles minor league system with that throwing motion. My question is, what does development represent in the minor leagues? I, I don't know because my first impression is that it has nothing to do with how they throw the baseball. Yeah. Uh, Jim Cott and I were talking last week on his show about when we look across the major leagues now, whether it's position players or specifically pitchers here, we're seeing guys coming up younger and younger um, that maybe aren't ready. And there is a reduction of the minor league system. Now there's a reduction in the draft um, development in terms of what's surrounding these guys is not, um, it, it doesn't scream, you know, this is our priority. And now I just saw this number. Again, we talked about Facebook feeds earlier in the show uh, through a scout. It was, it was sent to me that there are the same number of players in major league baseball now as there are analysts and, that's great, but we're talking about developing, developing kids and pitchers outside of grabbing Bradish. Let's say you had, you know, you had that fictitious conversation with Cortez. Bradish is, is your, you know, outside of just, Hey, let's have a catch. What would be your, you've studied this stuff. What would be your, and, and this may be unfair, but your first order of business with him after you had a catch, what would you start with? Oh, create, create some balance and stability. He's got no balance and stability through his motion. Zero. The whole Zero. way through. The whole way through. No balance and stability and, and no, no balance and stability, no use of his lower half. And I have, I've broken down his motion uh, in, in the Orioles minor league system. And when he's pitching in the major leagues, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. There is just, there's zero stability. There's zero athleticism in his motion. And his arm path is severe, absolutely severe with severe lower half timing. I, I can't, uh, I, I'm just, it's, I'm just being honest. Just yeah, being honest. I asked you. I didn't ask you to lie to me. You, I no. didn't, you, you, and you know, Dave. You know, we. You know, we. We've. Get, you know, I talked about this. We. You know, it's been an interesting conversation. Once again, for you know, any of any first time listeners, this is really important to understand. I am not looking to change Major League Baseball. I'm not looking to change how any Major League pitcher thinks. I'm not in that position. Uh, it's not my money. It's not my. Th it's it, it. It's none of. It's none of my business. What concerns me, and and why we're having these podcasts, is that with my experience of working with high school youth pitchers, and actually sitting back in the back row and watching instructors instruct pitchers who played for me, because I'll give you this caveat, which is interesting. I coached in Connecticut, and they had this archaic just absurd rule where I couldn't work with it. You couldn't work with an athlete in the off season with a ball. 
teams. Right. right? So that means I couldn't work with pitchers. Yet football coaches could work with linemen and linebackers all year round, get them bigger, faster, stronger. Obviously, you can do that because you don't need a ball. So that was just an absurd ruling. So what I did was I would travel around. As we said, you can't swing a dead cat without finding a baseball instructional facility, especially in the Northeast. So I would go to all these facilities that I knew my pitchers were working at and getting instruction. And I sit in the back row. I wouldn't tell them I was going. And I'd watch them throw. And I'd listen to the comments that the instructors were providing. And I'm going, this is just absurd, right? So as I mentioned, every, every March, we'd have pitchers and catches for a week. And then we'd go outside and throw in the snow. And I would, it would be Groundhog Day. It would be Groundhog Day because whatever we worked on, whatever we, we adjustments we made to make them more effective as a pitcher, to contribute to the team, it was all gone by the next year. So, Dave, what happened was I just t- I stopped coaching. I got tired of playing and dealing with Groundhog Day. That's, that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. So, you know, it, it comes down to, you know, what we say this every podcast, but my concern is what these 14, 16, 18 year old pitchers, what they see, what they read, what they hear, what they're being taught. Because if I'm 16 years old and I realize and I read about Bradish's career or his year last year, and how he was considered one of the top starters in Major League Baseball or any of these pitchers. I'm not picking on Bradish. And there's nothing said about how he throws the baseball. If I'm 16 years old and I throw just like Bradish, and I'm telling you, I could show you about 75 photos of pitchers who I've worked with in my motion studies. Before we start working, I videotape them. They are doppelgangers of Mr. Bradish. So I'm saying I'm a 16-year-old. Why would I change? Why would there be any reason for me to change and make adjustments throwing the baseball? Because Coach Colonel says, you know what? You're going to get hurt, and you're not going to be able to throw strikes, and you're going to, your performance is going to suffer, and your health is going to suffer because of how you're throwing the baseball. Hey, Coach, I, I, I'm not changing because – my, my throwing motion looks exactly like, you know, Kyle Bradish's. It looks exactly like Walker Bueller's. It looks exactly like Dustin May. It looks exactly like Luis Severino's. I mean, we, I could go on for an hour listing names. That's my issue. That's my issue. Now, is that a Mount Everest we're climbing? Without a doubt. And we will, will, we, will we ever get there? Um, I don't know. I, you know, if, 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 if this continues as it is, probably not, but it's certainly worth a venture of trying to see if we can maybe educate some people and make them aware of what they see, read, and hear is not in their best interests. That's really it. It's not in their best interests. As 16-year-old pitchers looking to develop and be the most successful pitcher they can. Oh, you're right. And, uh, you know, at one point in time, we were, as an industry, we were doing things um, there was a time where pitchers were throwing longer, um, but not getting as injured as frequently, I guess. And it's been replaced. And then I caution people all the time with, with social media and the likes of YouTube. They need to have a better filter because it looks like baseball. It sounds like baseball, acts like baseball. But as you, you, you so eloquently mentioned, there's a lot of people copycatting it because they don't know the difference. And it becomes the new reality uh, seen through a lens of what I consider in a lot of cases that people call them gurus. You can call them snake oil salesmen. You can call them charlatans, confidence men. Um, it's it's scary out there. So, yeah, never never hold back. I got a question for you. Yeah. We, uh, I don't know when it was, a month and a half, two months ago, the whole baseball world was waiting on a, a, a Blake Snell signing. And there's been all sorts of ridiculous articles as to where he's going every day and people foolishly click on it. W- what in the world? He's still out there. You've got some 
some thoughts or you, you, you made mention of him in your show notes. Yeah. Can, can I, can I just put that aside for one second day? We got a few minutes. I just want to, I want to mention something here. I think it's important um, regarding, I talked about my experience and how I couple that with the research. So we talked about, you know, um, uh, injuries and, and, and not sacrificing velocity for arm health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think this is important for me to relate to the, the listening audience here. And I'm just going to read a couple quotes here. All these pitches I work with that I'm going to refer to have increased their velocity after making adjustments. But that's not the point I'm going to address. What I'm going to address is their arm health, because we're talking about arm injuries and how do we make adjustments to minimize the stress on the shoulder and elbow as, rather than maximize. So I just want to take a minute here because I think it's important. High school pitcher, I feel what we worked on is easy to follow and definitely makes a lot of sense. My arm definitely feels better. I'm experiencing less elbow pain after throwing. Another pitcher, what we work on makes sense. Once again, there's that makes sense, right? We're talking about what's logical. I'm speaking to what I believe is logical. Very easy to follow. These are 16, 17-year-old high school pitchers. The drills are easy to do and very helpful. My arm feels stronger. It's not as sore as it used to be after pitching. Here's another one. The drills are simple to follow and can be done anywhere. They're very helpful. The adjustments are not hard to make. I'll underscore adjustments not hard to make. That's a 17-year-old speaking. I can feel a difference in using my entire body to throw versus just using my arm. We talked about creating a slingshot for the arm with the throwing motion in reference to kinetic timing. That's my addition, not his, not his spoken word. Before working with you, my arm and shoulder felt sore after pitching. It took three to four days to recover. Since we've been working, this has cut down to one or two days. My arm does not feel sore at all. Another pitcher. The athletic pitcher program has helped me so much. I was experiencing a lot of arm issues as my arm constantly hurt when I threw pain everywhere. I used the program, did the drills every day. They're very easy to follow. It makes sense. Let me underscore again. It makes sense. My arm feels better and the pain is gone. It doesn't take long to see a clear difference. Last but not least, a collegiate pitcher I mentioned two weeks ago was conference pitcher of the year when I spoke about his increased velocity. This is what he said about his arm feeling better. The adjustments I made on my throwing motion helped me to improve my lower half ball timing. Once again, we talked about improving and optimizing your lower half ball timing. My arm wasn't nearly as sore as it used to be when I finished pitching. My arm recovered much quicker and was ready to use earlier than before. Those are quotes from 16 and 70-year-old pitchers I've worked with over the last couple of years who, after making simple adjustments to become more athletic, stable, and balanced, and maximize the use of lower half, what they've accomplished is minimizing the stress, reducing, I'll use the term, they've reduced the stress on their arm, their shoulder, and elbow, and by the way, none of them have lost velocity. They've gained velocity. I just want to make sure that I think that's important for your viewing audience to understand regarding why we're doing this and what I've seen and witnessed and my concern about the impact on youth pitching from what they see, read, and hear. No, I'm glad you brought us back to that and want to encourage our audience when we, when we give Jim's information at the end of the show look strongly into this program. Uh, it's proven successful. Uh, you're going to get someone who's passionate about keeping pitchers healthy and throwing longer. And that's what we want. Of course, you're hearing some, some testimonies too, to guys throwing harder. And that's ironically, that seems to be the, the wrong focus right now. And it's causing the other two to drop off development injury. And you seem to have it right here. So we'll get to, we'll, we'll make sure we, we pump that right at the end of the podcast here. Uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned snow, right? Can we yeah, get yeah. that real quick? <laughs> I, I just thought I'd have some fun with this once again. You know, I, I, I labeled this a theater of the absurd. So uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal a writer wrote, and the title of the article was, he's one of baseball's best pitchers. How come no one wants him? 
So I started laughing, right? And I read the article and, and I, I believe I'm quoting this correctly that the asking price from Mr. Boros was 270 million for nine years. Yeah. Okay. So here's here's my here's my observation, and we're gonna have some fun here. Me and Mr. Boros, right? I'm the general manager, I'm the president of baseball operations. He walks in my office, you know, makes his speech. How do you do? Blah, 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 blah. We're talking. And I go, okay, I I I get this, right? But let me let me tell you my perspective. Um, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm not going to pull them up, but I looked at his career stats. I'm not, now I'm talking to your audience. I'm sorry. So I'm not going to have the exact figures. But what I'd say to Mr. Boros is this. I get it. You want nine years. You want $270 million. That's $30 million a year. You're, you're telling me that I'm going to pay $30 million a year for a pitcher who has thrown 180 innings once in the last five years who's averaged, I believe, somewhere between 125 to 135 or 140 innings. I get that, right? But my staff has to eat 1,450 innings. So I can't pay $30 million for a pitcher who's only going to eat 10% of those innings because my manager in August is going to be in a big heap of trouble a big heap of trouble, right? So I'd, I'd look at Mr. Boros and say, listen, I, I respect you. I understand your job and I understand what you're trying to do here. But I'll tell you what, you're asking for $30 million. Now, let me back up. He's also had abductor and shoulder injuries over the course of his career. So let me, so, so I would offer this to Mr. Boros and say, you know what? I'll tell you what, you're looking for 30 million for a year. I'll give you 45 for one I'll give you 80 for two. He proves to me he can stay healthy and he can eat more than 10% of my innings. We'll, we'll look for two more. We'll maybe look for three more. But if you think I'm paying $30 million when he's 39 years old, as my, as my wife says to me, what, what galaxy do you live in? Right? So I, I, this is, I understand Mr. Boros's job. I understand his role. But whatever rarefied air he's breathing, I, I don't need to breathe that same air. I just, I just thought that was pretty crazy, um, you know. And I, so here's the, here, you know, interesting. My question. I understand the money. It's there, right? Obviously, the Dodgers. No, it's there for about six teams. It's the, it's the other 15 teams who are scrambling who don't have the same amount of money in their savings account. But I get it. For some of these teams, the money's there, right? Now I'm an agent. I'm going to try to get as much my job. I'm going to try to get as much money as I can. What I don't understand in my question is to the president of baseball operations and the general managers, why would you give Blake Snell any more than two or three years? I don't care what the money is. Like I said, I might even go to Mr. Boros and say, you know what? You got a lot of confidence in your pitcher. I'll give you 50 million for one. I'll go that high. If he can prove to me he can stay healthy. Because the other thing I'd say to Mr. Boros is this. Let me show you photos of his throwing motion. Here's photos of the other 220 major league pitchers who have had Tommy John surgery. Here's photos of 300 pitchers who've had shoulder surgery. He throws exactly like these pitchers. So unless, Mr. Boros, you can tell me he's got Superman DNA, I'm not going to give him four years because this tells me he's going to break down again. And I'm not going to pay $30 million for a pitcher on the IL. That's the conversation I would have with Scott Boros, with all due respect. Yeah. And you also had a basketball uh, note under oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is really under the theory of the absurd. I had some I had some fun with friends of mine who played basketball in college, and two of them are really good. And it was, you know, I read an article in the, in the Wall Street Journal, and it was about Caitlin Clark. And kudos to Caitlin Clark, great player, phenomenal. I, I think it's great for the game. But Pete Maravich was mentioned in the same sentence. And I'm going, you cannot mentioned Pete Maravich in the same sentence as Caitlin Clark. Now, this has nothing to do with Caitlin Clark being a woman. 
if she was a men male basketball player, I I'd be having the same conversation with you. Pistol Pete played when there was not a three point shot. Pistol Crystal Pete played when there was no time, no shot clock. He only played three seasons because he couldn't play his freshman year. Now, Pistol Pete didn't live beyond the three-point line. He lived beyond the four-point line. Okay? I don't know whether some of your listeners are old enough, but when I grew up, I was a big fan of Pistol Pete and Calvin Murphy. And I went, my, my father took me to the garden to see Calvin Murphy play in Niagara. They were different, but they were just prolific scorers and they were phenomenal passers and ball handlers. They were just fun to watch, right? So back then, you, you'd get a game on the new, the used sports network, right? At like 1030 at night or something. Well, I watched the game where he drained 61 points against Kentucky. And I don't think he took a shot within 25 feet of the basket. So once again, I understand that reporters report the news, but as with any other issue, and I, and I have one more example, can you just have some perspective? You know, you can applaud Clayton Clark, Caitlin Clark, kudos to her, but you, you just can't, like I said, you can't mention those two names in the same sentence. And it reminded me, it reminded me two years ago, I read an article about Otani. And, you know, kudos to Otani, tremendous player, gifted athlete, pitcher, batter, hitter, whatever the case may be. You know, the Dodgers want to pay him a billion dollars a year. God bless him. You know, it's America. But the article talked about a record he broke of Nolan Ryan's. <laughs> and I laughed at this, right? It was something about 100 strikeouts. And one of these absurd, you know, maybe records where, you know, he got to 100 strikeouts quicker, you know, on Saturdays when it was 80 degrees. And I, I don't know what the record was. but. At the time, Nolan Ryan and, and, and as again, Atani were in the same sentence. And I Googled Nolan Ryan's career, and I Googled Atani's <laughs> career. His career at that point was Nolan Ryan's 1973. And I'm going, can we just wait a couple years? Wait a couple years before we put Otani and Nolan Ryan in the same sentence. And this is not a knock on Otani. This is not a knock on Caitlin Clark. It's really about there's no perspective anymore in the sports world. We throw all these numbers and stats around and we compare people. And it's like comparing apples and Mercedes. I go, seriously? I just thought that was hysterical. I'm sorry. And I, I wrote a letter to the writer and she got back and you know, they got back to me and said, yeah, you know, you know, it was a different era. I'm going, okay. You, you could you could you could say that and you could compare the two, but at least in the article, make note of the fact that, hey, by the way, troops, there was no three point line. You know, Pete Maravich lived it, you know, in, in a in a rarefied air and there was no shot clock. But they just go, hey, Caitlin Clark's going to like break Pistol Pete's record, all time scoring record. End of conversation. I go, really? How about how about some perspective? <laughs> Yeah, and the tough part is about the, all that. That kids brought a lot of, uh, you know, you, you don't see women's basketball selling out, and no matter where she goes, it's a sellout crowd. She brought a lot of excitement to. Oh, us. I think it's great. I think it's great. Oh, I, I don't, you know, it's 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 tremendous for, for she's, women's yeah, she, sports. She's not the one comparing. It's 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 people who want clicks on their their writing, and you know, she's even had people come out and, I mean, former v- veteran women's basketball players come out. And I don't want to get into their reasoning behind it, but try to diminish what she's doing with really false narratives. Not all, not all that different than what we're talking about with pitching where, um, and it's a shame to just, uh, yeah, I, I caution all those writers out there that are trying to sensationalize it. Just appreciate the kid. It's pistol Pete is pistol Pete. He changed the game. I mean, people were not doing the things he he was doing back oh, then. He, he was he was a man amongst boys. I mean, you, you watch you watch highlights of him playing, or if you watch them when he played, it was like people people couldn't catch his passes. They were no look passes. But he was he was shooting from like he was shooting from like thirty feet, thirty five feet. I mean, and back then when the three point line was instituted, it was nineteen feet. Yeah. I I did the calculations and said if it was it conservatively if if there was a three point line he would have broken six thousand points seriously and to your point why can't we just not celebrate what Clayton Clark's doing I don't care 
even why would you even want to diminish her in the eyes of women's sports? I mean, it's great for the sport. And you look at, you know, somebody said this back a long time ago. You, the only way to really compare athletes, and I believe this is true, and I, 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 I like this comment, was you need to look at how much better they are than the people that they play against in their own era. And what is the gap between their performance and the people they're playing against? Not is, is Mike Trout better than Babe Ruth or is Caitlin Clark better than somebody 40 years ago? It's how much is that person dominating at that point in their existence versus the people they're playing against. To me, that's the biggest, that's, that's the biggest rule or the biggest barometer you can use when you're evaluating somebody generationally. That's just my own opinion, right? I mean, it's my opinion. And Pistol Pete, there was nobody within his, forget about zip code, within his galaxy as far as overall play. There were point scores like Austin Carr and some of the other players, but as far as ability and his ball handling, that's just my opinion, but we we kind of lose, like I said, we we lose perspective in our desire to sell a headline. And um, I know I, I know reporters report the news, but sometimes you got to create the news. <laughs> yeah, they do that. There's too many out there. There's no barrier of entry for any of these things nowadays. Reporters or skill trainers or you name it. But uh, so did did we uh, did we skip? Did you already get the message in that you wanted to the, for the troops and get to the oh, book? Yeah, I think this is important. We talked about, um, you know, um, one of the things I created for uh, the programs I work with and uh, and the pictures I work with, because I like to simplify things. I, I think it's better. I, I, I you know things can be very complicated to do, but I think it's important to simplify to try to educate so people can understand. So I created a tap guide to pitching and I said, uh, simple is better. It's all in the threes. And I'll just say this very briefly to your audience or the pitchers out there is pitching tenants. Number one, command, learn how to throw all pitches for strikes ahead, behind and account. Number two, change of speed, disrupt the hitter's timing, critical for the hitter. Movement, impact the hitter's ability to make solid contact. The next one, the next three is motion evaluation, ball, lower half timing. Front foot contact, where's the baseball? Early cocking, how open is your front shoulder? Hips fully rotated, how collapses the baseball? The next set of threes, motion execution. You want to alert to stride and take your lower half to the plate correctly. Arm path, three relaxed hinges, wrist, elbow, and shoulder, up, around, and through. Separation, you want to separate over the rubber. The next threes are pitch command, fastball. Middle, in, out. You want to learn how to throw middle. You want to command in and out. You want to command high and low. The next is changeup. You want to learn command 0-2-2-0. The next is curveball. You want to learn command 0-2-2-0. The next is pitch execution. You want to get a st- you want to get ahead. You want to stay ahead. You want to learn. You want to be able to pitch first. Throw first pitch strikes. You want to get the first batter out in an inning. Next one is turn the page. Next pitch, next batter, next game. The final threes are the three Ds. Dedication, your commitment to learn, your commitment to achieve, to max your ability. Determination, resiliency in the face of adversity. And the final one, discipline, stay focused, work hard, work smart. Um, Those are, like I said, it's all in the threes. Uh, if anybody's interested in getting a copy of that, they can email me. I'll send them a copy. But like I said, it, I, I try to distill and I try to present things and, and put some of the pieces of the puzzle together so a youth pitcher uh, can understand this and have kind of a guideline to follow. So I thought the um, putting this in the context, it's all in the threes, was a simple way for me to communicate uh, what they need to focus on to become a more successful pitcher. I like that. I may, I may be emailing you. In fact, I, th- I know I have them all down, but I may do that just to consolidate the notes. And what about your book recommendation? Now you always have a couple books you're, you got on your shelf. Oh yeah. I thought we'd, uh, we'd, st- we'd go back to the sports world and we, we changed the sport. Um, there were two really good books that I read regarding golf and they're, and they're really more about, they're, they're just not about golf. They're about, they're about fathers and sons and their relationships. Uh, the first one is final rounds by James Dotson, uh, a father, a son, the journey 
uh, golf journey of a lifetime. Uh, and it's about um, a story about this, um, who, uh, Mr. Dotson, who takes his um, father, who's got a couple months to live, on a trip to Ireland to play golf. And it's a very touching story. Uh, and uh, whether you're a golf enthusiast or not, I think it's a really uh, interesting and worthwhile read. The second one is Walking with Jack, A Father's Journey to Become His Son's Caddy by Don Snyder. And uh, this gentleman became a uh, basically became his son's caddy in his uh, son's uh, journey to become a professional golfer. And uh, very interesting story. It's about a relationship between a father and a son. Um, thought these were both really, really fun reads, really good reads. And like I said, much more than golf, more about as much about life and relationships between fathers and their sons. That'd be good. I always... Uh... Put your reading suggestions on the kids' homeschool possibilities. So I know they've been grabbing them as you've been you've been uh, suggesting certain books. So again, if there's just an audience of one with the books, you, you've got the attention of four kids. So oh, that's great. That's using great. your recommendations. Oh, I, I have people. You know, I share books with people. People text me and say, "Hey, you know, here's a good book. Try it out." I, you know, I, I, I it works both ways. I've read some great books that uh, friends of mine have suggested, all genres, right? So. Um, I'm, you know, I'm open. Anybody has any suggestions, but I think it's important. You know, it, we we're talking about pitching and it's fun, but I like to mix it up a little bit and there, there's more to life than just throwing a baseball. Yeah, no, well said, well said. No, tell the, remind the audience how they can find you. Oh yes. The, um, uh, the, the, um, website is athletic, athletic pitcher series.com. Um, many of the things we've talked about here, as far as visuals, uh, I have five baseballs on the homepage that speak to the video series. Uh, you can get a better understanding of what I'm talking about. And if you have any questions about what we have spoken about or what I've addressed, um, if you have any answers to my questions, more importantly, or some insight that can, you can provide me, you could reach me at JAC tap two. That's JAC tap T A P two at gmail.com. Well, great show again, Jim. And, and I like how you started And audience always, if there's something we need to speak more deeply about, like we did at the beginning of today's shows, let myself know, let Jim know. We're always willing to kind of go back just to make sure we're clear enough to go forward. Make sure we are supporting millions. Our merchandise dropped last week. We'll also have our experiences up uh, possible today, but definitely by tomorrow where you can hire our podcast host to do a number of different things. Speak to your class come live to speak to, to a group, virtual speaking anywhere, to a team, to an organization. Ask them a question. You know, they can answer, answer one short question for you. number of different options uh, to engage our hosts a little bit more deeply. So make sure you check out Millions. Jaw Bats, RVG at checkout gets you a discount on your, your newest maple bat. Kinetic Arm, RVG DAG, capital D, small A, small G, gets you a discount on the Kinetic Arm. Uh, great, great device. Tanner's using both of those items. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Monet, it's a hair product company, uh, skin products as well, but I, I may be looking to cure Hathead with all us baseball guys out there. So we'll, we'll express more on that. More to, more to come on Bonets as well. And, and we're engaging a couple of batting glove companies too. So with that, episode 460 here, the arms race with Jim Colonel. On the real voice of the game. That's a wrap. Jim, thanks so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Enjoyed it. Be well. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister, and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now, this nation that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. As soon as we could see, 